0: In 2017, the Journal of the American Medical Association published a study by a group out of Boston University that really caught the attention of the football world. In a study that included 111 brains of deceased NFL players, 110 of them were diagnosed with the degenerative brain disease, CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. The paper was alarming, of course, but it also brought a heavy backlash, with some pointing out that the study was focused on a biased sample of brains. Of course, the authors of the paper acknowledged this themselves and urged caution at interpreting the results. But that didn't stop the critics from kind of trying to brush it off altogether. The funny thing was, at first, nobody really worked to try to quantify what the study could mean. That's where Zach Binney and Kathleen Byshynski entered the picture. Binnie is a sports injury epidemiologist at Emory University and a consultant to pro and college sports teams and leagues. Bishinsky is a postdoctoral fellow at NYU Langone Health, where she researches and teaches on sports safety and public health. She is also working on a book about the history of debate over the safety of youth tackle football. Binny and Bishinsky took that Boston University study and kind of turned it into a math problem. It was really pretty genius in its simplicity. They have released the results in the journal, Neurology, and last week they were nice enough to speak with me about it. It was an enlightening chat, and it really puts the importance of that Boston U study into perspective. Here is my conversation with Zach Benny and Kathleen Byshynski. Thank you both of you for joining me today, and I want to talk to you about this this very interesting study that just came out. And tell me a little bit about it. What what made you decide to, to take on this study and the angle that you took in particular?
1: Sure. So um, given that this is a narrative uh, podcast, even though we're more of an informational episode, I know you said, um, I'll try to give you the narrative version of this, which is uh, that I have studied NFL injuries since I began working for a team back in 2013, uh, doing freelance Injury analysis work. And so that's how I got really interested in the field. Honestly, I'd kind of shied away from the topic of brain injuries and CTE mostly because uh, so many people smarter than me were already doing this kind of work So I focused a lot more on um, musculoskeletal injuries, you know, broken bones strained muscles that kind of thing but uh, last year a study came out from uh, the Boston University V.A. and uh, Concussion Legacy Foundation Brain Bank, where they reported on 111 uh, brains of former NFL players, among other brains, but we, I really focused in on the 111 former NFL player brains that they autopsied and investigated for the degenerative brain disease, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, which is a brain disease associated with repetitive head trauma. So not single concussions or single head injuries so much as a, a long-term period of repetitive uh, head injuries. And what they found was 110 out of 111 of those brains showed signs of CTE. So some of the headline figures that Blair were, uh, you know, 99% of NFL brains found to show CTE. And as an epidemiologist and a public health person, I, along with a lot of other folks, and including the study authors, because they wrote about this in their paper, recognize that they have a a sort of skewed or what we call a biased sample. So players who had some sort of neurological problem probably would have been more likely to donate their brains for research. So that 99% was probably an overestimate of how many folks in the NFL actually uh, will develop CTE, which uh, to me, as a public health person, is kind of the number one question, right? How many people are going to get sick with this? And so there was um, a little bit of backlash to the study. I think some of it done uh, in good faith by scientists uh, such as myself and uh, others, and some of it in bad faith, claiming that because of that, what we call selection bias of brains in that study, we basically know nothing about how many folks actually have CTE. I mean, it could affect almost nobody. Um, But that I quickly realized was nonsense uh, because over the study time frame so these brains were only autopsied from february of 2008 to may of 2016. we actually know uh, that only about 1142 former nfl players died during that time period and 111 of those brains were investigated and 110 of them showed uh cte neuropathology brain damage consistent with uh cte and so if you take that 110 and consider that there are only 1,142 people who could have been diagnosed, then we know that the prevalence of this disease at death is at least 10% in NFL players and uh, likely much higher. If you go and, and read our paper, you see that under some pretty reasonable assumptions about how strong the selection bias was, you still get a prevalence of anywhere between 20 and 50% or even higher than that. Uh, and and we were absolutely stunned and wanted to get this out there in the academic literature. And Kathleen uh, was kind enough to to join me in this venture.
0: So so, what was it like? It was a lot of going through Pro Football Reference and finding people who died, or or what? Or was it more com- complicated than that?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to undersell it here, but honestly, I've been telling people that this is the simplest and shortest paper I've ever written. Um, it. Pro Football Reference uh, lists uh, what we think is a a fairly comprehensive, and and we did some checks on this, some mathematical checks. We think it's a pretty comprehensive list of uh, players who died. And so you just go and, and you look at their page for 2008. It shows all the folks who died in 2008. You go through until 2016, you collect those numbers, you write a short bit of computer code to run the simulations that we did. All that code is uh, completely public, by the way, if anybody wants to check our work or, or critique our work. And, uh, and we did it. Uh, it took a lot longer to find a journal willing to print the paper than it did to actually write it.
0: Was there an aha moment where you, where you thought, wait a minute, we can at least use some uh, some pretty simple math to essentially come up with at least a minimum.
2: Well, that, that idea actually, I guess I could say the aha moment, came from a New York Times article uh, describing that original JAMA study. Because one of the BU researchers, uh, Dr. Anne McKee, who's done some of these brain autopsies, actually kind of mentioned in passing, and it was mentioned in this article, that that would be the bare minimum number that it would be something around 10%, given that uh, there were only something along the lines of 1100 something players. But we realized nobody had actually followed up on that idea. So it had sort of been floated in the New York Times, but nobody had actually done an academic study, which not only looked at that bare minimum, but then tried to characterize the fuller range of possible values of selection bias. So we basically just realized, hey, we should build off of this idea and actually, carry it out as a study,
0: so if the bare minimum is around ten percent and the maximum is close to one hundred percent, which e- either one seems probably fairly unlikely, what do you think the most likely range is based on what you've seen?
1: You know, I think it's uh, I think that's difficult to say. Uh, I don't know that I can tell you that with a great degree of confidence. I think, somewhere in the 20 to 50 percent range is very plausible uh, and very alarming uh kathleen correct me if i'm wrong here but um the nfl itself in the concussion settlement has admitted that they suspect that somewhere around 30 percent of their um retirees are going to experience some form of neurological disease or dementia including cte um, so that's kind of right there in the middle of our estimates, but our estimates are only for uh, CTE. So I would say that uh, that you know twenty to fifty percent is is very uh, a reasonable estimate.
2: Yeah, as Zach is referring to the the NFL has acknowledged in federal court that uh, they anticipate about one in three players going on to show some form of brain damage. Um, from our study, even if you assumed that people who actually had CTE were 461 times more likely to donate their brains than people who did not, the prevalence would still come out to be around one in five players. So that's a really high level of selection bias to think that it's 460 times more likely than not if you truly have CTE to donate. So I do think in terms of plausible levels of selection bias, even if you say it's probably really high, you still end up with a number around one in five or higher.
0: Okay. And again, now to clarify too, that's only talking about CTE and not other potential uh, brain brain damage issues, right?
1: That's right. And there was an article uh, just a couple of weeks ago about uh, how the NFL's projection for uh, under its uh, head trauma settlement for how many cases of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, uh, their projection for how many cases were gonna develop uh, in the next 65 years was surpassed in 18 months. So there's reason to believe that that those numbers may be um, a little bit of wishful thinking. I I hope they're accurate, but uh, certainly there's cause for
0: concern. For sure. Have either of you, had any feedback from the scientific community of what they they think of what you've come up with here?
2: Uh, I would say overall, we've received quite positive feedback. Um, Just the idea that, yes, this is uh, gauging a little bit more accurately what the possible prevalence might be. I was actually particularly pleased to see uh, that Dr. Mez, who was the lead author of that JAMA study, Uh, looked at our work and said, you know, this builds off of our study to give a sort of framework to try to at least give us a more ballpark sense of what the range of possibilities are. Um, one, One piece of feedback that we have gotten that's worth mentioning is that it is important to emphasize that our study is just among NFL players. So this is the range of estimates based on a sample of NFL players, but we haven't done this analysis in college or high school or other levels of the sport. Um, and another thing that we, were, um, we got feedback to emphasize was that this is based on CTE neuropathology. So this is based on what the brains look like at autopsy. And that's just that snapshot picture. Um, we don't have full detail on each of the player's lives, what, um, when their symptoms began to show, those other kinds of details what our analysis basically focuses on is what do the brains look like at death? Okay.
1: That's right. So we can't say anything about how common even CTE neuropathology, the actual uh, you know physical state of the brain. We can't say how often that's seen in college football players. We can't say how often that's seen in high school football players. We can't say how often it's seen in um, wrestlers or, hockey players or soccer players or basketball players our study doesn't do any of that and it also doesn't say that um you know 20 to 50 percent of retired nfl players aren't necessarily going to show um symptoms of uh, uh neurodegenerative neurodegenerative diseases like cte so things like mood swings dementia depression those sorts of issues our study uh does not say that however i, I do want to say that um I have been a little taken aback by a particular strain of criticism among some clinicians. And I've noticed it seems to be among a group of a a profession called neuropsychologists in particular. And it's not all of them, but there is a a strain that considers it almost more important to make sure that we do not cause any undue angst among sports participants about the possibility of developing CTE than it is to acknowledge that there is an extraordinarily high risk for uh, these NFL players. And I, I think I was I was taken aback by that a little bit because of course you don't want to cause an unnecessary panic and perhaps, uh, you know, headlines certainly don't always communicate all the degrees of nuance of a study, but, you know, parents should be concerned when their children are suffering head trauma and they should hopefully go to their doctors and ask them hey you know my child had one concussion are they now at risk for cte and hopefully a well-informed uh physician would say well no that's that's not really what we're worried about you can um you know calm down a little bit about that we're more concerned about you know long-term issues of brain trauma but there seems to be a bit of resistance to putting out any information uh, on the off chance that you might unnecessarily scare someone. And I I think I was taken aback by that strain a little bit.
0: Yeah. So the argument is that if people know there's a chance um, that they can be damaged by playing football, that they will suffer some sort of psychological issues as a result of just knowing that?
1: That is the theory. And also that uh, I have heard it expressed that even if you don't play football, you know, oh, I I have uh, uh, children and athletes and parents coming to my clinic every day because their child got a a, uh, concussion playing basketball. And now I have to take time to dissuade them and calm their fears about that child developing CT. And of course, nobody in their right mind, either of us included, would say that that child is at a particular risk uh, for CTE. So uh, uh, it's a backlash, I think, against maybe some of the more breathless media coverage, but it's, it's ranging over into not even wanting to acknowledge that the disease exists and that the best data that we have shows that it's very common among certain high-risk groups and so i think i was just a little surprised about the balance there
0: yeah you would think awareness would be the the main thing that people would want that
1: would be the thing that i would want but you know i i certainly understand and now i'm armchair psychologizing and i'm really the last person who should be doing that but i I can understand that, that if you played football and i have not um, that it's a really hard pill to swallow, that you might be at high risk for some sort of neurodegenerative disease down the line. I mean, that's not, especially if you're a former NFL player who played, uh, you know, as a child and as a professional for over 20 years and accumulated all that head trauma, That that's really not a, a pleasant thought to think about what will be coming down the road. And, and I totally get that. And so I think that may be Part of where some of the resistance is coming from, and I totally recognize it. But as a as a scientist, um, you know, again, we want to be clear and transparent about the, the limitations of our work, just like we wanted to address the limitations of the BU study. But we want to be careful also not to dismiss the, as Kathleen can tell us, decades of science around CTE.
0: Hello friends, Bob Harkins taking a moment to tell you once again about our friends at Cool Fire Studios, a wonderful graphic design, printing, and art studio. Let's say you need business cards, or posters, or a t-shirt, anything to make a splash, Cool Fire Studios artists can make something special just for you. It's more than just a logo on a shirt, it's personalized artwork. In fact, if you go over to RaisedSports.com, you can see the t-shirts that they made for us. And they're so cool. So go check out Cool Fire Studios. That's cool with a K, coolfirestudios.com. Now back to the show. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, is it one of, the, one of the issues, one of the limitations we're dealing with here is that even if we, we peg um, the rate of CTE in NFL players at between 20 and 50% or a third or you know, in that range, we don't know the prevalence in non-football players, right? Just regular citizens.
2: There was a clinic study um, that I believe, was, believe had 198 brains that were a uh, control group, meaning that they were uh, average population and not, you know, a, a former collision sport athlete or military or other kind of person who'd been exposed to repetitive brain trauma, and they did not find signs of CPE in any of those brains, which provides pretty good evidence that even though it's quite possible that, you know, there are a couple brains out there with signs of this neuropathology who might be in a control group, it doesn't seem to be anything near the level of people who've been exposed to repetitive brain trauma
1: that's right and i'll just add uh, a couple more things here so in addition to the mayo clinic study that found zero out of 198 brains of non-collision sport athletes um none of them zero of 198 showed signs of cte uh there are a few more studies from various brain banks that look at uh, general population groups and uh some folks have seen fit to bring this up on social media and other places saying hey look you know there are some studies that show uh that these general population groups uh show signs of cte but one thing that none of these studies shows is a general population group where any substantial portion shows signs of severe, what we'd call stage three or four CTE. So damage that's more widespread throughout the brain. And that's the kind of damage that was present in 86% of the players in the Boston University study. So you also have to be careful in thinking about uh, the severity of the disease uh, when comparing uh, NFL players to or uh, former uh, collision sport athletes to other groups. The other thing that I want to say is there is quite a long history of literature showing that generally um, NFL players do live longer uh, than the uh, general male population. They are they die uh, at lower rates of heart disease. They die at lower rates of cancer. They die at lower rates of almost every disease you can imagine, except neurodegenerative diseases where they die faster than the general population. In some cases, for certain diseases like uh, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, they die at much higher rates. So when you combine all of that ev- evidence together, um, it starts to paint a picture uh, of, of the comparison of brain health between uh, former football players and, uh, and the general population.
0: That's interesting. And I don't think I've, I've seen that uh, talked about that much.
1: Yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be more than happy to send that along uh, and so that you can uh, paste it in uh, the link to your show if you want. Um, The other thing that I'll say is it's a little bit of an open question why NFL players live longer. I want to be clear that I am speculating right now. uh, But as an epidemiologist, probably the number one thing to me is they don't smoke at the same rates as other people. They have better health habits. Yes, obesity is a problem, but these are still professional athletes who have developed uh, you know generally decent eating and good exercise habits they don't smoke at very high rates Some of them certainly will have a much higher socioeconomic status uh, than the general population, all of which contributes to the health of players. So then when you still see that they're dying uh, at higher rates of neurodegenerative diseases, even though they're healthier in all those other ways, that definitely sends up a flag for me. You know, it's certainly not definitive proof, but it it certainly raises a flag.
0: So where do we go from here, guys? Uh, And, I, you know, I know we need more research. That's probably... An answer? And if so, you know, what areas do you think the research needs to go in, in your opinions?
2: Well, I think something that uh, Zach and I pointed out in the article that we really hope will be coming down the pike, I don't know if it'll be five or 10 years, but certainly in the near future would be a being able to find some kind of marker where we could identify CPE in living people. That would be a huge game changer because right now, it can only be diagnose, diagnosed on autopsy, um, which does limit in many ways the kinds of questions you can ask. And obviously, in terms of the time frame of finding an answer, you don't know in any individual case until after their death whether or not they actually had signs of this neuropathology.
0: So so thank you so much for joining me. Is there, is there anything else you guys think should be said while I have you here?
2: I'll just add that this is a really significant public health issue, whatever, you know, within the range of our estimates, whatever the true prevalence actually is, whether it's 10, 20, or 30 percent, that's an enormous percentage uh, in any occupation to be developing long-term brain disease. And for that reason, I think it's really important for the NFL as well as uh, any other sports leagues involved to be as transparent as they can about what these risks are because it's information that the players and their families deserve
1: to know. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, a question that we've been asked quite a bit is, so, you know, what, what policies, what do we do about this? Right. And, um, you know, I, I agree with uh, Drew Brees among other people that uh, we should probably be talking about, Flag football only, so no contact uh, for children fourteen and younger, uh, while their brains are developing. You know, their brains are still developing through high school and college. So I think there's an open debate about where exactly you want to set that cutoff and and how you balance uh, risks and and benefits and you know allowing people to to do what they want to do, and then of course the cultural value um, discussion around that. Uh, You know, once you turn 18 and you're an adult, especially once you're a professional, you know, 22, 23 years old, you're entering the league. The problem in the past to me has been that the risk both hasn't been known and hasn't been communicated to players. And so they can't make an informed decision about how to manage their own lives and manage their own safety. Now that we have, at least to me, a good guess about the risks that they're facing, that absolutely has to be communicated openly and players uh, need to be able to make their own decisions about that. And the last thing that I'll say is, um, you know, I really applaud the NFL and the NCAA and other leagues and organizations in the steps that they're taking to um, you know, limit or even potentially eliminate the kickoff, which is a particularly dangerous play. Uh, to improve helmet technology and uh, you know protect defenseless players and take helmet helmet hits out of the game and all of these rule changes. I applaud every single one of those. Um, I am worried, and again, I wanna be clear because as a scientist, I wanna be clear when I'm speculating and I am speculating, but I often say that if you gave me a magic wand and said, if you wave this wand, you can prevent all concussions in the game of football. No one will ever Ever suffer a hit bad enough to cause a concussion? No one will ever be diagnosed with a concussion. I am concerned that that does not make the sport substantially safer. I am concerned that it is that cte is something that is inherent to the sport and the collision nature of the sport and the many 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 sub-concussive hits that players accumulate uh, from lower speed collisions especially uh, between offensive and defensive linemen that happen 60 to 65 times a game week in and week out for many people over the period of years so i'm not saying the game can't be made safer but uh, as a public health professional i i have some concerns and some questions about that and it keeps me up at night and it it you know i still watch the game look another thing i want to be clear about i'm often accused not often but certain folks will accuse me of being part of a, a plot to destroy football or something similar to that. I love football. I went and watched the games yesterday with my dad. I'm not stopping watching the NFL. I rep high school football for crying out loud. Okay. I love football. But as a society and as individuals, we, we all need to reckon with what we're seeing here and the long term health effects uh, that the players who, who play for us are, uh, are experiencing.
0: Well, I think think it's a dilemma a lot of people are, are increasingly dealing with, the love for football versus protecting the athletes. And so I thank you both for joining me, and I thank you both for your work and sharing your knowledge with us here today.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Bob. It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Raised Sports. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, you can find both Zach and Kathleen on Twitter, Zach is at ZBinny underscore NFLINJ, and Kathleen is at Bashins, B-A-C-H-Y-N-S. And if you go to RaisedSports.com, you can also find links to their paper, as well as a couple other interesting studies that we talked about in this episode. I'm Bob Harkins. This is Raised Sports. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode. Have a great day.